0: Good morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone.
1: Good and welcome to Democratic Perspectives. I'm Karen McClelland and I'm sitting in for Steve Williamson, who's our normal host and he's out of town today. So I've also got with me Stephen Hanks as a co-host. And we've got a, a very topical, always unfortunately topical subject to discuss today. We're talking about election integrity and voting. And we've got Emily Levy from Scrutineers, which is a nonpartisan voting rights, voting integrity group. Um, Steve no, as Emily. He was involved with this group when he lived in New York, so I'll turn it over to him to introduce Emily and introduce the group.
0: Thanks, Karen. Um, and and as Emily uh, reminded me earlier, it's Levy. Levy. Levy, Levy not Levy. Yeah, Right. So um, before I introduce Emily, I want to uh, talk briefly about how um, I connected with her, because uh, it was kind of a fascinating thing. Um, right after the lockdown, um, in, especially in New York in March of 2020, uh, when everybody was confined to their homes for a long period of time, um, I decided that I would start a medium, uh, page to write essays about politics. And one of my longstanding hobby horses, um, my number one hobby horse in politics has been voting rights, voting integrity, and anything to do with, uh, with that subject. So I started doing some research online trying to find all the different voting rights groups um, that are out there in the country and this organization called Scrutineers popped up on my list and I looked into it and it looked very intriguing. I ended up becoming a member. I'm still a member uh, since uh, Emily had just started in 2020 in January of 2020. Anyway um, I learned so much about uh, what's involved in the whole voting integrity and voting security issue that I was very motivated to. And I ended up going to Atlanta in January of 2020, got my high intensity mask, got on a plane and went to Atlanta, Georgia to be a poll watcher uh, for the Senate elections that um, the Democrats ended up winning to uh take the Senate over in 2021. Um, now, that said, uh, I want to point out that Emily Emily's group is nonpartisan, so uh, she'll talk a little bit about that, but that's how I got involved in the group. Um, Emily's doing great work in this area, and so, Emily, welcome to the show, and why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started it and what the mission is and and a little bit about what you're doing now, and then we can get into the nuts and bolts.
2: Great, thank you so much for having me, Karen and Stephen. I'm thrilled to be here. And I remember in January of 2021, Stephen, when you went down to um, to Atlanta to do that work, and you had you collected some really interesting information about about what that was what that was like down there. And I really appreciated hearing it. Um, so I have actually personally been involved in election transparency and election security work. Since the aftermath of the 2004 election, I've worked with organizations in about 10 or 12 states around the country. I almost always have done that work from my home in California. They always like to point that out because sometimes people say, where I live, we can count on the elections either going the way I want them to, or some people say going the opposite way from what I want, and I don't know that there's really anything I can do where I am.
0: And like I used to say you know, about New York.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And you probably wouldn't say that now if you were in New York, I'm guessing.
0: No, and I'm not saying it now that I'm in Arizona.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yep. So wh- wherever we are, there's a way that we can be involved, and the work is somewhat different if you're in a place where you feel like you're the only one and if you feel like you're in a place where everybody... Thinks the way you do, um, so having having done this work, including being part of a number of election investigations, training people about how to help provide public oversight to elections, um, lawsuits, things like that. And when when the 2020 election cycle got underway, I took a look around and noticed some gaps in the work that was happening by other organizations that led me to think I needed to start something new. Hmm. And one of those things was that there really wasn't a place for people who were newly interested in learning about specifically election security, um, to go to learn about it. And because of the Mueller report, there were a ton of people who are newly concerned about election security, but there just there just wasn't anywhere for people to get kind of beginning-level information and learn what they could do. And even though people at that point in late 2019 and early 2020 understood that there were concerns, people still didn't know, and I would say people largely still don't know, that there are things that individuals and small groups of people can do to make the elections in their communities more transparent and more secure. So I really wanted to create a way, a place that people could could learn that stuff, connect with others, and take action. And I also really wanted to help connect the folks who are working and have been working for generations, really, on the right to vote, making sure that everybody can cast ballots, and the folks who are working on making sure those votes got counted accurately. Those, Those two groups of people have not traditionally worked together much, and I really wanted to change that. So that's a big part of what scrutineers is about, is um, bringing the election transparency and security folks together with uh, folks working on the right to vote, because we need each other. Now, it doesn't It doesn't matter if everybody can vote if the votes aren't counted accurately. It doesn't matter if we count the votes accurately if nobody can vote. Yeah, that Communities of color are
0: disenfranchised. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you brought that point up um, because I think there's sort of like two buckets of people in this in this arena. The people that are very, very focused on voting rights, um, you know, focused on trying to end um, gerrymandering and voter suppression and 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 leaning toward that direction where where your bucket is mainly focused on the security part i mean it, it yep. sounds great that that you're trying to merge those two um do, do you what what made you lean in the direction of of the voting security and w- which is sort of the micro part of it rather than the sort of the big picture macro part of voting rights yeah um it, it's one of
2: those things that kind of Chose me more than I chose it. Honestly, hmm. um, I was, as we approached the, the 2004 election, signed up with an organization that was dispatching people around the country to get out the vote, and they never called me back. And right before, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going, where I was going, or anything. And a couple of weeks before the election, a friend told me that she was traveling to New Mexico to uh, volunteer with what was then a new coalition called the Election Protection Coalition, mm-hmm. which is now known more by their phone number, 866-OUR-VOTE, the, uh, the election problem hotline, election protection hotline. And she invited me to go with her, and I, and I did, and went to Albuquerque for the 2004 election, um, and I had the job of entering the complaints that, that were coming in on the hotline into the computer and just was hearing hair-raising stories that unfortunately I don't remember any of now because so much has happened since then. Um, And I did not trust the results of that election and started looking around to see what I could do about it. And that's really how I got involved at the time. I didn't know that much about elections and how they're run. Um, but I ended up connecting with a man in upstate New York named Richard Hayes Phillips, who was doing an, a precinct-level investigation into the election in Ohio. And 2004 was the year that Ohio put put Bush over the top, um, yeah. over Kerry, and there were some very suspicious things that happened in Ohio. It was the, It was the last state to report its results, and there was... Funky stuff that happened, including the last county to report had um, shut out the public while they were doing the counting, shut out the press because they said there was a high-level homeland security alert and they had to clear the building. And that alert never happened.
0: Yeah, um, and I seem had- to remember. I seem to remember in that election regarding Ohio. In addition to what you're talking about, there was also. Uh, a significant amount of voter suppression, purging of names—I think that was going on then too. That was
2: it. the the purging of names that was really publicized in 2004, actually by Greg Palast primarily. Right, right. Um, was mostly what I remember is mostly in Florida and Ohio. Mm-hmm. Long lines were a huge issue. No lines, as I recall, 10 and 11 hours long on college campuses, things like that, and so. As I was saying, I at that point was not in any way an expert on elections and I, and I connected with this guy who was doing this project and he was trying to do it by himself and actually did have some experience in project coordination and so I ended up coordinating his investigation and through that learned a lot about elections and why I like to point that out is that you don't necessarily have to be an expert in any way on elections to get involved because whatever skills you have can be put to use. And those skills that I had in coordinating things, a lot of them came from being a mom. You know, they didn't come from having a job as project coordinator. So one of the things we really like to do at Scrutineers is help people plug into doing the work um, using either skills that they have that they enjoy using or Learning skills that they want to learn rather than you know in a lot of organizations if you volunteer, you end up doing the same volunteer work as everyone else Right. Um, and we try to, to help people get involved in ways that will be really meaningful to them.
0: Yeah, and now I understand you have almost a thousand members, which is amazing That's right. and uh, and there and there are people from all over the country you have representatives. Pretty much, in, is it all 50 states or most of the states? The state? last time
2: I looked, it was 44 states. I've wow. checked recently.
0: We've got to get on those other six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, before I turn it over to Karen to talk to you about the the specifics and what's going on in Arizona, I, I had to ask you this question It's more, as I mentioned to you before the show, kind of a, a I, don't, I don't know if you could say it's an emotional thing, but I'm really curious to know, given that you're so involved in election security and integrity, what you must've been going through during the 2020 or after the 2020 election, when among all the claims that the election was stolen was this focus on shenanigans with the dominion voting machines and, and voting machines, I think more in general that, that, uh, the right was trying to, to propagate on everybody. Uh, You know, maybe I'm projecting here, but I would have thought that that would have made your hair go on fire, knowing that was going on.
2: So you haven't actually seen a photograph of my burnt hair, but you're just guessing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It has been very painful. Mm. Um, And why I say that is, you know, I've been working on these issues for almost 20 years, and I have seen since the 2020 election Some of the work that my colleagues and I have done over that time, um, there's a lot of us who got involved after 2004, there's kind of a cohort of us, um, have seen that work twisted around and mixed with lies and spit out again in a way that not only confuses the public but can really discredit the, the work that we've done, which we've Taken great care to make sure that we have facts to back up the things that we say, for example. And so, while I absolutely don't believe that the that the two thousand that the twenty twenty presidential election was stolen, it is, and I disagree with almost everything that the um, the MAGA faction of the Republican Party says. One, there's one thing that I do agree with, which is that we cannot trust the voting systems that are computerized, that use um, proprietary software that people don't get to see. That we can't trust them to produce fair election results wow. and accurate election results. Um, and that message has become has always been hard to get through to people. People don't want to hear it, um, and now it's even harder to be believed because so many of the people who are saying it are mixing it with
1: so many lies. Yeah, and people don't really like it. Oh. Arizona that had the you know that audit suppose it after the election and Arizona has a paper trail. You know, the machine your vote's read by a machine, but there's a paper trail. You know, when they went through all of that they found the paper trail matched but the machine said the voting was with, you know, within a very tiny difference, and I think actually the when they counted the votes in Maricopa County by hand, they found a few they found more votes for Biden than the machine had found, but by a a, a right. tiny a That's tiny right. a very tiny amount, but so people don't realize that you know, the, the majority of states have paper trails, and people who are complaining about these machines are usually the ones who only hear. One fact that they've picked up, or one item they picked up somewhere online, and assume it's true in every state. And of course, every state is different. Every county is in Arizona, it's the county that organizes the votes. Every county, you know, now they're pretty much all on the same page now, but probably 2004, before that, the counties were often using different systems. You know, they, Mm -hmm. and so they would, you know, that makes it, when you you say, gee, you've got 15 different systems, you must be, it must be wrong, and that's, you know, doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a fact. You can have one system that's wrong. You can have 15, and they can all work really well. But it's yeah. yeah. This this yeah. issue is so I, complicated I, for so many people that it's yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last. It's one, it's so did. complicated for so many people because you, you've got a potential. You know, people think the machine is going to miscount my vote. You get people saying, well, the person counting is going to miscount my vote. You've got you know voter suppression things at the polls where people show up. And they're told they're not on the list anymore, or they're intimidated from doing things, or they're mm-hmm. given incorrect information. Uh, you, poll workers who require a type of ID, which is not what the law requires, so many you know different things, all of which you know, have have some effect. But it you know, so it, it makes people think, oh, the whole system's fraudulent, and that's not really the case. You know, there are pockets yeah, of pro- there are pockets of problems in different places, and it's. Uh, you know, hit-
2: I agree with you about that and I agree with you that it's really important that we have paper that mm-hmm. that has, and actually I'll go one step farther and say beyond a paper trail, um, which can mean a number of different things yeah. actually, um, that we need to have paper ballots that are marked by hand except by people who who need machines yeah. to mark their ballots um, for accessibility purposes. We also need that paper to be checked and so there need to be Really robust audits, much far more robust than we currently have really anywhere in the country, to, to double check the, the, the voting systems, the, the electronic systems. And I I would personally prefer that we had hand counting of hand marked paper ballots with computers to do a double check on the hand count. Um, at the moment, we aren't close to having that. And so kind of the best we can do with the current situation we have is to have people watching what's happening as, as much as possible. And I'm, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later in this conversation, um, and to have, to have really robust audits of the count. You know, going back to what Stephen mentioned about the, the fake audit that happened in Arizona, that was a giant hair on fire moment for me, or I should say more than a moment because it lasted for months. Um, Colleagues and I have at various times over the last two decades tried to do checks on the official counts of the votes by um, getting access to the paper ballots in places where, where they existed and have typically been told, we can't let you see those, we, or maybe we can let you see them, but we can't let you touch them. So if you want to count the votes, you have to, to pay some fee that's significantly higher than the hourly rate of the people that work in the department. But for somebody to stand at the counter and turn every ballot over so they're only touching it with gloved hands and you can count. And, you know, it ends up being hundreds of thousands of dollars or more to do that. And we really wanted to do it and, and do it well um, but we never had the funds to, to pay to do it that way. And then we get um, people in Arizona uh, not only not having to pay to do it, but being paid millions of dollars of taxpayer funds to do it badly. But we were being forced to, to pay pay money out to do well, and that was just infuriating to
1: me. Yeah, the Arizona audit was sort of a, an example of how not to do how not to do something Absolutely. in almost every single aspect of that count, and also along with the fact that both the, the re- Democrat who administered, who was in charge of elections, and the Republican who replaced him, who you know, got the most votes to replace him, mm-hmm. agreed that there were no major systemic problems of you know, of any kind and the vote counts sort of brought that along that there were no major systemic problems and of course that yeah. that particular election whether you I mean it's one thing to sort of say well the machine might miscount your vote but it's sort of really hard from, to believe the machine only miscounted votes in Ar- Maricopa County for Senate and President because every other office but one in the county was won by a Republican
2: yeah. that would technically be possible yeah, but
1: it, it, it it would not be not likely not, not, not okay. likely not likely, I said. The, you know, only, only Dem- you know, uh, Senator Kelly won. The president, you know, President Biden won, and the Maricopa County Sheriff. Every other person on that ballot, uh, well, I wanted to maybe in the house, uh, the House of Reason, but pretty much everybody who won was a Republican, except for a few mm-hmm. Democrats who were running for reelection. So it was, it was a very strange, yeah, uh, a very strange thing on on, on many levels. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, and one of the things that I think hasn't hasn't been part of the, the public messaging that's gone on or that the public still largely doesn't know about. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, maybe for in Arizona you do know about this, is the electronic voting system that was used in Maricopa County, um, when when the paper ballots are fed into the scanners that count the votes, the scanners actually take an image, a digital image, like a photograph. Of every ballot that goes in. And those images, they're identical, you know, they're pictures of the ballots. And they, they could have actually counted the, the votes on the images rather than getting access to the paper mm-hmm. ballots. They would not then have compromised the public records that are the paper ballots. It, it would have it, just been a copy. Yeah. It doesn't make it much yeah. faster to count. Yeah. And yeah. then you can kind of do a spot check, matching them up with yeah. the paper to make sure that what you've got is yeah. the accurate set of yeah. of valid images. And that would have been it would have been less expensive. It would have been um, probably more accurate. It would have been faster and it wouldn't have compromised the evidence that we have of what, how people voted in that election. It, that
1: wouldn't make, um, there was, it's not good uh, theater, uh, though.
2: I'm
1: <laughs> sorry? It's not good theater to do it
2: that way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, yeah th- there's no, there's no yeah. bamboo in the images. Um, and there was actually a, a bill introduced into the state legislature in Arizona to create a system to make that public um, oversight of vote counting easier by making those ballot images publicly available, um, which I think would be an excellent thing. I think it would be an excellent step toward more transparent elections in Arizona. Um, every Democrat voted against that and um, it was supported by most or all of the Republicans in the state legislature. So it failed. I believe it's going to be reintroduced this year. So that's something for people who are interested in, Having elections be more transparent that, that you can support in Arizona.
1: Yeah, the problem, because I don't remember that specific bill, but with mo- many of our voting bills introduced by both parties in Arizona, you know, uh, addressing things from different directions is that, and I know this is true in many states, is the bill rarely has just one item in it. The bill has one thing that's good and one thing that's bad, so. People don't vote don't for it. Think, and I don't, I don't remember think about think that, that, that specific bill, one, but I know it's I agree
2: with you that that so, so
1: many election bills. It will say one thing that we all agree is, is good, but then it, it throws in something else, which one which one group of people say, no, that's not good. You know, we yeah, and I said we've got yeah, Arizona. We've had like voter I.D. for a long time. Pretty much everybody. Uh, I think all the counties in Arizona use a system where the, the voter b- marks a paper ballot and then it's tabulated tabulated by a machine. And it's the ones you fill in the little circles on, so it's Uh pretty easy to tell. We used to, many years ago, I remember voting on the ones you put the punch things in, which was the issue back in 2000. You know, We right did here, use some Florida. of those in Arizona around that time, but they're all gone. So I think everybody has mm-hmm. something that's red, like an optical thing where you fill in a little circle
0: and the machine reads the circles. I still feel very romantic yeah. about the, the old booze where you flick the switch that I yeah. used to go with my dad <laughs> yeah. when I was eight years old. Um, I would love to the get back machines. to the, yeah, the lever machines. Those were really cool. Um,
2: they were, and they were actually significantly more accurate I than what we have
0: now. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but they're not high tech, so we can't right. use them, right? So, um, you know, Emily, one of the things during my 16 hour, uh, odyssey at the, at the voting, uh, location in, in Atlanta in 20, uh, tw- in 2021 in January, um, uh, of course, there was a Republican poll watcher who was, uh, there with me. So, uh, a very nice guy, but I, I heard, Numerous um, conversations, I had to have numerous conversations with him pointing out, pointing to the Dominion voting machines that were taking the scanned ballots at that location and how corrupt they were, the conspiracy theories were flowing like wine. Um, I tried to keep a stiff upper lip and just listen and not comment. Um, when, When one or two things happen... Uh, it, with with a voting machine, uh, um, an illegal, irregularity or any kind of a problem, does that just feed into th- these kinds of conspiracies that people on the right have about the election system?
2: Sure. Hey, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, people also try to to spin anything they hear to to support their arguments. So. Yeah, we, we've, we've all
1: watched for decades now, I think probably going back to like 2000 at least, where various jurisdictions, the various voting people have, someone has done a deep dive to make sure that everybody who actually voted was really legitimately entitled to vote, that they were registered, they were a citizen. And all of those, as far as individual fraud, all come up with tiny, you know, errors one or two people in, in out, of, out of hundreds of thousands that were voted who were not entitled to vote for some reason. Uh, which, and which at the same time in the last 2020 election there were people out there saying that millions of uh, non-citizens voted in the southwest and that the people were being brought across the border to vote where every time someone checks that it, you know it turns out that there were very few people and most of them thought they were eligible and were just confused they thought they were citizens and they weren't you know and then you get the occasional one like this year that in Arizona I think one in Arizona, somebody voted for their dead mother's ballot or something like right, that. Right. But it's like one person out of a thousand. You know, it's it's never right. enough it's, to make any difference in any election, but that doesn't start. Every single year, there's always things that, oh, thousands of dead people voted, thousands of illegal pe- people voted, you know, they, you know, they bust in people from the next state to come and vote. It's really hard to vote I... against, uh, to fight against those year after year after year, because every time they're always disproven. But it, yep. it doesn't change the viewpoint. And I think we've, what's scary is that we seem to be reaching to sort of a tipping point in more and more people believing that there's no smoke without fire. So that if there's 93 conspiracy theories, it must mean that something's really wrong, where all 93 conspiracy theories could be completely wrong. But yep. they dominate our discussion. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And I think people also conflate. Voter fraud and election fraud and that election fraud which can happens on a much larger scale and is, um, a much bigger danger doesn't get the attention it deserves and that Claims of voter fraud like you're talking about are really a
1: distraction from the real issue. Yeah, because the election fraud, we see the real stories every year in different states where polling places are closed or polling places are moved so that they're inconvenient for people to go to. In Arizona is a state in which the vast majority of people vote by mail, so that's a little bit different. But in states where the vast majority of people go to the polls and vote, you, know, you hear these stories while well, they, they moved it, so it was two bus rides away for most people to get to the polls, and that's the real danger is that, you know, people are, even people are registered, they're just, they're, it's making it difficult for them to get to the poll to cast that ballot. You know,
2: yeah, some of the voter suppression tactics definitely have a fraud component, like messages going out telling people um, Republicans vote on Tuesday, Democrats vote on Wednesday, right. yeah. things like that. Um, and also fraud that can happen with manipulation of the vote count. And it's, it's very difficult to detect. And so there, are, there are ways that we can try to detect it. And we haven't yet, um, been able to conclusively prove that it's happened anywhere. And part of that is not having access to the evidence. You know, there's, there's places where I think it's likely that there, was fraud that went on in the vote count but if you try to get the evidence they say you have to be able to, to prove it in order to qualify to get the evidence so it's really a catch-22 situation of, yeah. you can't prove it until you have the evidence but you have to have proof in order to get the evidence
0: sure okay. um emily what so, um that's frustrating yeah what 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 are your efforts with scrutineers right now? Like, what what do you focus on going into the midterms, into 2024? Is it is it always the same sort of programs um, that, that you pursue, or do you change up and focus on anything specific when an election is coming up?
2: We do focus on different things depending on where we are in the election cycle. And also, this is only our second election cycle since we are – national election cycle since we've been in existence. But each time we try to look at where can we, with the particular expertise we have and the the size of our organization and kind of some unique things about us, like that we have a few people in a lot of different places, how can we best use those features of what Scrutineers is at this point to make a difference. And so this year our biggest project is, is what we call the AFTER project, Act for Trusted Election Results the acronym. Um, and we're focused what that project is doing is focusing on um, enrolling people all over the country to help provide public oversight specifically during the processing and counting of votes, mm. which primarily takes place after the election. It sounds funny to say whatever takes place before Election Day, but with early voting, there's some vote processing and vote by mail. Sometimes some of the votes are processed before Election Day. We're focusing on the period from when the polls close until the the election cycle is completed by the, the auditing and certification of the election. It's a really important time for people to be in the places where votes are counted, which is sometimes election offices and sometimes warehouses or larger facilities like that, and observe the processes to document that they really are happening the way that they're supposed to happen, to raise questions when things don't seem to be going well, um, and to report out to the public what's trustworthy about our elections and, if necessary, any questions that come up. Right. And that's something that people can do without any training. And what we're doing is providing training so that people are more prepared, know what to look for, know what kinds of things to expect to happen um, in each state, know what they need to do to sign up, to um, to observe, and that sort of thing. So so we have a training that we're calling How to Help Stop Election Sabotage, and we actually have one coming up this week. Um, it's free. It's about a half an hour long with another half hour for questions. And then we have additional training materials available to people who go through that um, to learn more specifics. So, for example, if they're going to go on a day when what's happening is the processing of provisional ballots, which are the ballots that <clears throat> excuse me that people vote on if they show up at a polling place and it can't be determined whether they actually can vote there, um, They fill out what's called a provisional ballot and then determination is made later whether that is going to be counted or not. So the the processing of those is one of the things that can be observed in many places and we help people understand what to look for if they're watching that process.
1: Is there, I I know every state is, every state jurisdictions are different. Um, I know that we have that the, the, both political parties in Arizona recruit people for both election of poll observers at the polling place and some of this uh, observe, observation afterwards, can your organization, like us a non-profit or sort of a non-partisan organization, actually recruit people to be there and watch? Or is this something that is done through volunteers who are, you know, sort of like recruited by, a, by the, each political party?
2: Great question. So in Arizona, the laws are, are clear about what partisan observers can do. So if you want to observe and you belong to a political party, you can contact that political party about becoming an observer observer for them, and, and you might be able to observe the testing of the voting equipment, the actual in-person voting, and then the post-election processes like absentee ballot processing and, and that sort of thing. For nonpartisan observers, the law is less clear in Arizona. Um it's not specified whether nonpartisan observers can observe the absentee ballot processing and counting. Um, But at the counting center, everything is supposed to be open to the public. Um, And so one thing to do would be if you want to observe as a nonpartisan observer, and that doesn't, so if you want to observe as a nonpartisan observer, I would recommend contacting your county and asking um, what the process is, to do that, and then you'll, they'll tell you, oh, you have to be, you know, they might say, oh, you have to be partisan. And I want to make it clear that um, to be a nonpartisan observer doesn't mean that you are somebody who doesn't belong to a political party. Mm-hmm. You can belong to a political party mm-hmm. and observe in a nonpartisan way if you're not there to report back to your political party, and if you have a commitment. To report
0: what you see, regardless of what candidate it might favor. Yeah, um, Emily, I, I, a question just occurred to me when you were talking before about the different ways that oh, we can we can observe uh, the counting of ballots or the procedure or how votes are collected. Would would these kind of initiatives uh, delay? I hate to use the word delay, but maybe extend is a better word. Extend the process on election day so that it becomes election days. And if that's the case, would there be pushback on this from the media because of the media's need to project winners the night of the election? Did
2: I understand, right, that you're asking if having observers there could could prolong the
0: well, any any kind of any kind of program that would require um, extending the time to verify the ballots or the voting that you were talking about before.
2: So the only reason that having observers there would extend the time required to figure out who won the election is if the observers find problems. Right. And so I'll give you an example of something that happened. This is actually kind of my favorite story to tell about observing after the election because um, it's it's so pronounced what happened. But in the 2016 election in Los Angeles County, which is the, the biggest um, voting district in the country, I believe Maricopa County is second, if I remember correctly, either second or third. Um, but Los Angeles County is is the largest um, observers were watching after after the election, and they found that there was a mistake being made that was causing um, independent voters votes for in the in the Democratic presidential primary. So in Democratic the Democratic Party allows independent voters in California to vote in the primary, but in the, in the democratic primary but they have to uh, vote on special ballots they can't mm-hmm. vote on the the regular ballot mm-hmm. um, and they were processing those special ballots in a way that was not counting the votes for president the observers noticed that and actually put a asked them to stop and figure out what was going on and call a supervisor in and the supervisor agreed that a mistake had been being made in not counting these votes and that they had to Go back over those ballots, um, and count them and change the way they were processing so that these votes for president would count. And as a result, they estimated that 66,500 votes for president in that one county got counted that would not have been counted if the observers hadn't been there. So while, yes, in that very unusual situation, it did, you know, make things take maybe a few hours longer. The purpose of counting votes isn't to be fast. The purpose is to get yep. it right. So yep. um, I and would push back on any media that says, oh, we shouldn't delay no. it because we need it, an answer soon. Well, we was the right
1: Washington the State, about who won states that do all vote by mail only rarely have all the results mm-hmm. until a day or two afterwards. And, you know, people just adapt to that. You know, we've just this, is this instant gratif- that's gratification here where we have to know five minutes after the polls close who won you know that's yeah we need to get over that that's an education thing to people to say hey it's going to take a little extra time and it's also on even the thing you brought up is is the understanding that the mistakes that occur are generally mistakes somebody needs to right. watch to be sure it's not that somebody sitting at, at you know decided hey i'm going to skip I'm, I'm not going to count votes for president because i don't like any of the candidates it's it's exactly it, it's it's you know errors done in a process and if people are watching the process it's not uh partisan actions on the part of the people counting or the election officials. And, you know, generally we've all, you know, oddball cases where that happens. But in most cases, the people counting the votes are trying to do the very best job they can. I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. we need. It's not, it's not a, you know, a deep state conspiracy to make sure that, that uh, like I said, in Maricopa County that Republicans got elected to the county offices but not to the presidency. It, yeah. Right, and yeah. we and we all know that sometimes voters just do things that nobody predicts. Yeah, you know, polls polls don't are not necessarily accurate predictions of what voters are going to do on the day they actually fill their ballot out. You know, all, yeah. yeah. So, they, un, unusual of uh, results happen sometimes perfectly legitimately, and sometimes there may be a question of looking more.
0: Emily, we're getting close to the end of the yeah. show, and I want to make sure that you get the information out about how people can get involved and what are the different kinds of uh, jobs or functions uh, people can can do if they're a scrutineer
2: okay so yeah so people in order to get our training that i mentioned about observing after the election don't need to become members that information is all available on our public website we do also have a membership site that's interactive where people communicate with each other about projects we're working on. It's where we have more in-depth training uh, take place, and then our training library of past trainings we've done. And everyone is welcome to become a member, whether you're a member of any political party or not. Um, Membership costs a one-time fee of $1.99, which is something that we charge (laughs) basically to keep bots off of the site. Um, So we try to make make it as accessible as we can and also keep it protected. Once people are members, um, they're invited to come to our weekly community gatherings where we can talk about any issues that people want to talk about. Those tend to be pretty small except for right around elections. So there's, it's a good time to bring up questions or issues that you're pondering that you want other people's um, opinions on. And then, there are a, there's a variety of projects going on all the time, and i, I don 't have time to talk about all of them we now, may yeah. Yeah. have to
1: sort of cut, um, you, cut you off because we're getting sort of a one minute sort we're of the signal, there, minute signal there signal there yes yeah, so we'd like to tell okay. anybody who's listening to um, check out the scrutineers website check out your your actual parties um, they provide training if that 's a good way to get involved if you want to do poll watching if before or after an election that 's an easy way to do it um, check out these organizations and to do that and we before we run out of time we also want to want to thank everybody who supports the radio show those who made us contributions uh the democrats of the red rocks the Yavapai County Democratic Party um Steve Segner del El Portal and um, all of our other uh generous volunteers who are uh, donors who keep us on the air and, that, and just to check, the Democrats, the Red Rocks have a few things coming up. Check their website. They're showing Inherit the Wind at the meeting. And then we've got a big picnic coming up in October with hopefully most of not all of our statewide candidates.
0: Yeah. So. Um, first of all, before I mention the, uh, the Inherit the Wind film, just want to say that Emily's organization website is www.scrutineers.org, not .com. So if you're looking for it, remember the org part. Right, Emily?
2: Yep, Yep. thank you very much. Cool. Thanks for having
0: me. All right, great. And so uh, please remember that on September 16th at 7 p.m. at the Sedona International Film Festival, Mary D. Fisher Theater, there is going to be a door-sponsored showing of the film Inherit the Wind, 1960 classic, um, to talk about Burke Burke Banning, among other things. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. and listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.